Coming to you live from the Mistopheles Studios in Stark Bridge Radio. Dark Fringe Radio. We're coming in hot tonight, guys. We're coming in hot. We're coming in hot. I'm Will Martinez, and thanks for joining in Dark Fringe Radio tonight. And um, we got a special guest with us tonight. But as always, my co-host, Jay Galosi. Jay, what's up? What's up? Man, we're rocking it Yeah, we are rocking tonight, man. We are on, like, fucking number 9.999999. So, uh... We got a good episode for you guys tonight, and um, as I mentioned earlier, we have a guest with us, and um, I wanted everybody uh, to listen up because it's uh, very important. We have a uh, a new personality on the podcast, and her name is Gab, and um, I wanted to introduce her. She has a, a segment that she's going to be doing on the podcast uh, for us, and uh, she's going to be doing some horror movie reviews and um, news and stuff like that. Um, and then we'll be slowly integrating her into the show here um, as well. So, hey, uh, Gab, thanks for um, joining uh, the team here at Dark Fringe Radio. Thanks for having me. Well, absolutely. And, um, you know, like I said, I um, I actually saw some of your uh, work on Instagram. And, um, you know, I saw that you were doing, you know, movie reviews and you're very thorough and uh, and in-depth, you know, with your descriptions of what you saw and what your, you know, what your opinion was. And I thought it was awesome. And then when I reached out to you, you basically told me that's like really the only forum that you kind of, you know, put that stuff out there on. And I said, you know what, you need to come on our show and, you know, be a part of this because, you know, that you could you know, definitely further your audience as well. And, uh, you know, we could do things together. But, um, you know, like I said, I thought it was a great fit for the show. Um, and thank you for, um, you know, joining the club. Like I said, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on the show. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, Jay, wanted to jump into some news here um, first, um, but also wanted to remind everybody about the social media, where to find us. Um, you can find all our information on Facebook, Twitter, and also on Instagram. All you have to do is look up Dark Fringe Radio on any one of those three uh, media outlets, and you can find um, all our stuff there. We're posting stuff all the time. Uh, I'm going to be cross-posting stuff with Gab as well when she does, um, you know, horror movie reviews because she's constantly watching stuff. And so, you know, I'm going to go ahead and do that as well. Uh, so make sure you go to those three outlets and check out Dark Fringe Radio. Uh, like and share and, uh, you know, please uh, spread the word. Uh, that's the only way we're going to get bigger. So another thing I wanted to mention as well was, um, again, we get the constant um, – we get the constant – uh, email about how to listen to the show and it's very simple it's there's two ways it depends on what kind of phone you have so if you have an iphone all you got to do is you got to go to your itunes store look up dark fringe radio and then boom right there we pop up in the podcast section all you got to do is go there give a five-star rating do a subscription subscribe you can either choose to have it downloaded onto your device um, automatically or just give a reminder to you on a weekly basis when a new episode drops so you can do that there or if you have an Android phone, very simple as well. All you got to do is go to your Play Music app, which is the, uh, the app that looks like an orange arrow that's pointing to the side. Um, you can go in there. You search in the, on the search menu, Dark Fringe Radio. We pop up right there on the podcast section. You can do the same exact thing, subscribe, um, and just spread the word. So those are the two different ways you can catch the podcast, and uh, it's very simple. So hopefully that clarifies everything and everybody's um, on the uh, up and up on that. 
For 15 years, I've been trying to teach you how to write a lead. Do I have to do everything myself? Get the story, write the story? We'll do it live! Fuck it! I was looking at the James Brown wig. Fucking thing sucks! That's your kind of thing, Maria. You love doing it yourself. Sometimes, yeah. I, I can. Thank you. Jay, I wanted to jump into some news uh, today. So um, do you have anything on your, your radar for any news this week? Well, I think we would be remiss to not talk about the biggest subject of the day. Um, that's obviously the passing of Stephen Hawking. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I woke up this morning, and I'm a big fan of Neil deGrasse Tyson. Um one of my favorite podcasts, one of my favorite shows to watch. Uh, I love everything he does. And the very first, very, very first thing I saw on Facebook this morning was a, uh, was a post from him uh, in regards to Stephen Hawking passing away um, and the world losing easily the greatest scientific mind it's known, at least in our generation uh, and maybe of all time. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. I mean, um, he's he's an icon of our generation. You know, he's crossed the barrier of being that, you know, prototypical nerd. And you, he's in the mainstream. You know, he's not that guy that you don't ever see or hear from. You know, he's out there and he uh, he definitely likes to uh, be out there as well, which is, uh, you know, a lot a lot different than a lot of those other guys that are out there. that are you know, just as smart, if not smarter. But uh, yeah, very sad, sad, sad uh, news that I, I actually saw it happen. Not actually there, but I saw the news cross into the Twitter line, you know, of him passing away around 1230 last night. I was doing prep for the show and I saw that. I was like, fuck, man, out of all people, that guy. And you know what? He had that he had that ALS, I guess it was. And he was supposed to die like when he was 25, 26. And he was only supposed to like last two years. He ended up last until he was 76 years old. That's pretty good. And, and think of all the things that he was able to accomplish um, while having ALS and really not being able to do anything, show any emotion, have any conversation, uh, at least not verbally like you and I are now, um, couldn't use his, his hands or his feet. Maybe that's one of the reasons why he was such a great scientific mind. His mind was the only muscle that he could uh, control and, and utilize to, to the fullest of its ability. So he got he was able to focus it in a way that the rest of us can't because we're too busy being distracted by using other limbs so um you know it's definitely a great loss Uh, i was a big fan of of a lot of his his theories and some of the works he did uh in reference to studies on the cosmos and and ideologies to the multiverse um of course love the family guy episode where him and his wife although i don't know if his wife is actually handicapped but they had him and his wife in bed in the wheelchairs great episode uh you know he spanned every 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 media every pop culture he's definitely going to go down as, as one of the big names of our generation and and, and generations to come yeah a very uh a sad 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 day uh with his uh, loss and hey you know i i i hope this you know encourages other uh kids and uh you know young folk that are you know looking to do something with their life or you know looking to study into something like that and to say hey you could do something like that and study something like that and still be cool and and it'd be you know you know relevant so uh i'm, I'm I was very happy to see that he was able to do that as well, and I hope people take note of that. So a very sad day for uh, for everyone, um, of course, uh, 
Mr. Stephen Hawking. So, I, um, Jay, I wanted to move on and um, talk about a subject that um, may may actually strike you not so um, <laughs> surprising, but did you hear about the FBI, um, how they actually uh, paid uh, the, uh, you know, the Geek Squad, those guys from uh, Best Buy as informants? Yeah. Yeah, they would pay them as informants yeah. for information on people they were trying to spy on. Uh, and, uh, that basically came out in some court documents. Uh, and so there's a lot of, there's been a lot of backlash as of late, uh, to the, you know, the Best Buy brand in, they were already hurting because of the retail market of what's going on currently. Uh, but this just adds another layer to like, what information of ours is sacred? Is it any of it? None of the, our information. No. I mean, not even if we take our computer to go get it, you know, serviced, uh, you know, for some issue, uh, you know, they're going to take all your information. They're going to, you know, read it. I mean. That's a total invasion Unfor- of privacy. A privacy excuse unfortunately, me. yeah. Unfortunately, at this, at this point in our culture and our environment, definitely in our country, um, any information you have, it's just it's a sad state. It's a sad state we're in. But you have to almost assume that everything that you have, any information about you, is out there and it's in the hands of pretty much anybody who needs it. So check this out. An FBI memo obtained by the nonprofit Digital Rights Group revealed that Best Buy in September 2008 hosted a meeting of law enforcement agencies, cyber working group at a Geek Squad repair facility in Kentucky. Uh, The memo indicated that the local FBI division uh, maintained close liaison with the Geek Squad management in an effort to glean case initiations, excuse me, and to support the division's computer intrusion and cyber crime programs. Uh, Revelations about the FBI's uh, relationship with Best Buy's first surfaced uh, last year during the prosecution of Mark uh, Rattenmeyer. Uh, that's a, a California doctor who was charged with uh, possession of child porn after bringing his computer to Geek Squad for repair. See, in that instance, Jay, I don't have a problem with that. You know, you got some fucking yeah. sick son of a bitch out there with some child porn, and, you know, he takes it into Geek Squad, and Geek Squad fucking turns it into the FBI. I'm okay with that. That I'm, I'm, I have no problem with that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, it's it's kind of like that Catch-22. As much as we want privacy... Really, the only time you need privacy is if you got something to hide. Yeah, you're right. So, I mean, yes, it, it kind of does push the boundaries and push the borderlines of of what is ours and what is sacred. Um, but on the flip side, if we ain't got nothing to hide, then we really shouldn't be too afraid of, of the government kind of keeping an eye on us to make sure that everyone around us uh, isn't some kind of mass murderer or child pornographer or just den- general douchebag. Well, on, uh, in a, a statement on Wednesday the uh, to PC Mag, Best Buy said that four of its Geek Squad employees may have received payment by the FBI after turning in alleged child porn to the agency. Um, so any decision to, uh, to accept payment was in very poor judgment and uh, inconsistent with our training policies. That's what uh, Best Buy had to say about that. Uh, three of these employees are no longer with the company, and the fourth has been reprimanded and uh, reassigned. So, uh, of course, the FBI uh, declined to comment when contacted by PC Mag. Of course, yeah, what were they going to say? Yeah, yeah, we did it. Really? We already know you did it. Yeah. What's the point of going on and be like, yeah, yeah, you caught us, PC Mag. You really got the FBI over the coals. I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit about PC Mag. I'm like, yeah, okay. Anything else on your radar there, Jay, for news? Actually, I have a couple of things. One thing hit me close to home, and, and 
really made me study um, how I am as a human being and just how far my ethical code will go. Um, I'm a 49er fan. Anybody listening, anybody doesn't know that I'm a 49er fan, I'm a huge 49er fan. I'm about as big a 49er fan as you're going to find not living in San Francisco. Here we go. Um, I always see something like when Michael Vick was coming out of jail for all things he did, I was, I, I was thinking to myself, how could you root for someone who was able to do such horrible, awful things? How do you, it's hard to root for someone you just generally dislike. When Terrell Owens was a part of the 49ers, I rooted for him because I didn't realize what kind of a douchebag he was until he left. Uh, Deion Sanders, when he became a 49er, I didn't realize, I knew he was a pain in the ass, but he never stopped the 49ers from going anywhere, so I didn't really harbor any ill will. Uh, this past week, the 49ers picked up Richard Sherman, who's a former cornerback for the Seattle Seahawks, stopped us in a couple handful of uh, playoff games and NFC championship games. He spoke very ill of Michael Crabtree, who was a former 49er, uh, after past interfering him and then acting like he didn't do anything wrong, and that's why they won the game, because he was so good, he stopped the ball. Uh, he's also a very outspoken member of the community. Uh, I do know that he's he's very big in uh, his social environment, speaking out for um, players who, who feel like they are they're more pieces of meat and numbers than actual people on the field. And that part of his, his story... I understand. Uh, I think he's a bit brash and abrasive with it. But that being said, he recently became a 49er, and now I have to figure out, am I going to still root for him to do well, or do I want to see him flop on his face? Because if he flops on his face, my Niners are screwed. If he does well, I'm rooting and cheering for a guy who I have openly said is a fucktard. Ergo, my moral conundrum. Don't sell your soul to the devil, Jay. Don't do it. I mean, a little morality for Super Bowl ring. I mean, come on. Yeah, what the hell? <laughs> I mean, Tom Brady did it. Yeah, How many look. years has he been sucking dudes nuts to get his five Super Bowl rings? It's I mean, all good. Yeah. It's all good. Well, that's an interesting article there, yeah. Jay. Uh, yeah, it's going to be yep. something that you're going to have to face. So it's. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to... Um, about mid-season to see how you feel. So I'll, I'll ask you that question then. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I got one more thing if you don't have anything else. Go ahead. Did you hear about the science teacher feeding the, uh, a puppy to a turtle in front of a student? The science teacher that fed a puppy to a turtle in front of students. Is that what mm-hmm. you said right now? Is it, or? Yeah. A science teacher is under investigation after reportedly feeding a puppy to a turtle. Okay. Robert Crossland of Preston Junior High School in Idaho uh, fed the snapping turtle in front of a student after class had ended on a day, according to local media sources. Uh, Mark G., the superintendent of local school district, said in a statement that his team is aware of the regrettable circumstances involving some biological specimens last week. Uh, the event occurred well after students had been dismissed and was not part of any school-directed program. Uh, it's unclear if the dog was dead or alive at the time of the incident. The former students of the uh, East Idaho teacher, Mr. Coslin, had previously fed guinea pigs and snakes to turtles during class for demonstrations. Uh, a lot of his students say he's a cool teacher who really brought science to life. They loved his class. He had turtles, snakes, and other cool things. The school district has begun to investigate uh, as soon as it heard about the episode. Mr. G said that the local sheriff's office has been informed and, quote, we hope that any errors in judgment made by the teacher in this instance will not cause us to forget the years of care, effort, and passion the teacher has given the students of Preston School in this district. Uh, 
Mr. Crossland has yet to be charged or suspended. He fed a puppy to a turtle. I, um, I'm questioning what kind of drug would possess a person <laughs> to do something like that. I don't think a person in their right mind can do something like that. I, 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 don't, know, I don't know. Uh, dude, I don't know. It's one, it's one thing, I guess, uh, to show your students nature and you, you have the snake, you put the mouse, you watch the mouse. We've all seen a mouse be eaten live. Let's not, let's not get too crazy. But a, a puppy to a snapping turtle, that's a different wrinkle. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty violent. Um, that's pretty fucked up. But, well, uh, you know, whatever they throw at that guy, I hope he gets it twice. So, fuck, man, that's just, <laughs> that's fucking sick. Well, um, the last thing I wanted to, um, end on here, Jay, was there was a, um, a story that came out a couple weeks ago, and uh, this big pharma company had its license suspended um, as a vaccine sterilized um, over 500,000 girls. There's a big pharma company who manufactured a vaccine allowing for a state-sponsored forced sterilization of over 500,000 girls in Africa and had its license revoked. Uh, according to Kenya's opposition leader, Ralia Odinga, a half a million girls are now infertile following a tetanus vaccine administered by the government in 2014 and 2015. The freethoughtproject.com reported that the uh, uh, controversy began uh, coming into a head in 2016 when a company called Agric Quest Limited, a Nairobi-based pharmaceutical company, uh, got in a dispute with Kenya's Ministry of Health uh, over their tetanus and polio vaccinations. Um, a group of Catholic doctors uh, originally made the accusations claiming that the vaccines may uh, contain a hormone that is dangerous to young women and can cause potential sterilization. Um, so, you know, you have this company that comes in, this big pharma company, you know, saying that they're going to, you know, help and, you know, help these impoverished people um, by giving them, you know, free medication you know, that was donated, you know, through donation dollars. So that way they could give to, you know, to these people. But in turn, is actually sterilizing these young women, Jay. That's some bullshit, man. Yeah. That's some bullshit. And not only that, I mean, that's a, that's, a lot of women. I mean, that's going to, like, have an impact on future generation. Yeah. I mean, that's fi- 500,000. Don't get me wrong. 500,000 is a lot. But if you take a look at, at most nations' gross population, I don't know how big a foot, uh, how big a footprint that's genuinely going to leave on the global or grand scheme, but on the individual basis, which is really all you can ever take things for, is, is how they how they impact the the individuals involved. Those five hundred thousand women, I guarantee a lot of them want to be moms. I guarantee a lot of them wanted to pass on and impart something to a biological portion of themselves, uh, just like we, just like you and I do to our kids. Um, you know, I want to be a dad for the rest of my life. I, I since I, as far back as I can remember, um, and my kids are the biggest gift I've ever gotten. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. I couldn't imagine getting a tetanus shot and then suddenly finding out I couldn't have kids. I'd be, I would be devastated. Yeah. I mean, I'd be devastated. You have to think too, that that 500,000 women, that is like the equivalent equivalent of killing 500,000 people. If you really think about it, because those women will never be able to procreate. See, like a man, even a man can procreate. He just has to find a woman. But this woman, they're, they're in, a, in a, like a neutral zone. They're not there. A woman, they can't procreate no matter what. So it's like you've killed off of like 500,000 people of that generation. And that's, you know, I don't know. That's just crazy to me to it, even think about that. It's actually going to be more than that. 
Because if you think the average person does not have one child, they have two to three kids. That's true. So you're looking at at least a million people. Yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right. I didn't even think about that, but you're right. But, yeah, it's just a very sad story. And, um, yeah, sad. Yeah, and I hope they're able to find us some type of, you know, way to get around that or, I don't know, help those women or, you know, reverse the process or something, some kind of solution to that. But very sad over there in Africa, Nairobi. But anyways, um, we're going to be uh, finishing off here the news, and uh, we'll be jumping into our horror movie news and review segment with Gab, and uh, just stick around for that. Who is this irresistible creature who has an insatiable love for the dead? All right, welcome back to Dark Fringe Radio, and we're now ready for the horror movie news and review segment with Gab. Gab, this is all yours. Take it away. Hey, what's up? How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. How you doing? Good. I got your theme song here going in the background. I know this is what you like. Oh, yeah. Living Dead Girl. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. I've always, yeah, so, um... always been a Rob Zombie fan. And even... Uh, even though he got so much shit for uh, those Halloween remakes, I, I I like those. I still like those. I'm not mad. At I those. like them too. You know, they weren't that bad. Yeah, a lot of people gave him shit though for that. I don't know why. You know, I guess they- I don't know. You know, I didn't really care for uh, the whole um, House of a Thousand Corpses or oh. Devil's Reject. Oh. I thought those were pretty shitty movies. Oh. <laughs> he just squished my heart. <laughs> 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 I fucking love those movies. But Halloween was good. Yeah. I, you know, I liked it. Yeah. I liked that he uh, gave a background to uh, Michael Myers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was cool, and he, like he used like a real thing that could be like mental health. You know what I mean? The guy was just seriously, you know, fucked up. You know, just had a mental issue. So um, I like how he just used that. But uh, well, listen, um, I, this is your segment. I know this is um, um, uh, your horror movie review segment. I want you to go ahead. And uh, jump off and uh, go ahead and tell us what movie you're going to be reviewing this week for us. Well, I uh, I got a chance to check out Strangers 2, Pray at Night over the weekend. And I have to admit, you know, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I kind of went into the movie expecting it to be a train wreck, you know. I kind of got this opinion that any type of sequel is going to be pretty shitty. You know, it's really rare that you find a sequel that's good. And it's even more rare if you find a sequel that's better than the original. The only one I know. But uh, I was pretty excited. The only one I know is The Godfather Part 2. Oh, yeah. That's good. I'll give it to you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was really excited to see it. You know, uh, it's been, what, 10 years since the first movie came out? So I was going to see it regardless. You know, I think a lot of people were really stoked to see it just because the first movie was such a cult classic, you know? Yeah, it was. And it's the kind of like the home invasion, uh, like sub genre of horror that, um, you know, a lot of people talk about. And that was probably the first one was, I I believe, in my estimation, one of the best ones of that time. Right. Do you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, I I think it kind of put the whole home invasion uh, genre onto the horror map. It was great. So um, overall, how was the movie? I mean, how was the plot? I mean, were there was it like more jump scares? How 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 was the movie? Oh, wow. So 
just to kind of preface the review, you know, I went into this movie thinking it was going to be another home invasion film, but it wasn't. It was a straight-up slasher flick, and I kind of liked it. You know, I know a lot of people, they probably didn't really like that they kind of went away from the home invasion genre, but to me, I think it kind of made sense. You know, if you think about it, the strangers, they're probably bored of, like, breaking into people's homes and, you know, terrorizing them and doing the same thing over and over again. And in this movie, they're kind of venturing out and killing off whole trailer parks. You know, I liked it. <laughs> so they're going to trailer parks and just hacking away at people? Uh, Yeah, pretty much, you know. So basically, uh, Strangers Pray at Night, um, I'm just going to call it Strangers too. You know, it, uh, it centers around Mike. You got his wife, Cindy, and they got their two children. They got their son, Luke and Kinsey. And uh, Luke, you know, he's getting ready to go off to college. And Kinsey, she's like this fuck up that they're getting ready to send off to boarding school. So the movie starts out, you know, Kinsey's packing her shit and they're getting ready to drive her to the boarding school. But before they get there, they decide they're going to stop off and see some family members and aunt and an uncle who live in a trailer park. They get to the trailer park, you know, it's late at night, it's deserted. That right there should have been the first red flag. You know, there's like nothing going on in this trailer park. It's just creepy fog and mist. But, uh, yeah, they don't think anything of it. They go pick up their keys from the office and they go, you know, to the trailer, get comfy. And uh, you get that classic knock at the door. You know, that girl, she's standing in the dark and she's like, is Tamara home? And they're like, no, you got the wrong house. Hell fuck no. She comes back, same thing. Yeah. She goes back, same thing, and um, kind of pretty much goes down from there. You know, the whole movie really is about these strangers. You got three of them. You got a guy who's wearing like a burlap mask, kind of sack type thing. He's got holes cut out for eyes. You got this chick. She's wearing like a baby doll mask. And you got this other chick, she's got like a pinup kind of mask going on. And uh, they're hunting the entire family down, picking them off one by one through this, tra- you know, through this trailer park. Um, 95% of the movie, I would say, is done outside. So it kind of strays from the first movie where it's confined just to a home. So, yeah, they got this whole trailer park that they're hunting the family down in. That's interesting. It's so it's pretty good. I like that. Yeah, it's interesting that you said that it's mainly outside, which for horror movies, that's um, rare unless it's like a Friday the 13th type of movie, which, you know, you said is more like a slasher, which you said this is kind of like that. So it's uh, it's kind of refreshing to see a, an outside kind of movie like that. Oh, yeah. One of the things that I really loved about this movie was it had like a really 80s nostalgia to it. You know, the whole cinematography the way that it was shot, it was kind of like the very first Halloween. You know, picture Michael Myers, like, going through the grass, walking really slow, like, hunting down his victim. That's kind of like how the strangers did. You know, they're calm, they're composed, and they're just out for blood. I liked it. Plus, you know, the whole soundtrack throughout the movie is, like, 80s music. So it was really great. You know, it was kind of like my childhood right there. (laughs) That's cool. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, um, so what do you think yeah. on, on an overall scale? Where do you find this uh, this Strangers Two uh, sequel? On a scale of one to ten, I'm going to give it like a six point five. You know, just because there were so many really bad decisions throughout this entire movie, and I think that kind of goes hand in hand with slasher films. It's just you know, at one point the son's got a gun. 
you know, there's this uh, stranger. She's got a butcher knife. She's stabbing his sister. And he's, like, got this gun pointed right to her dome, but he doesn't even, like, shoot her. I'm like, what are you doing? Kill this bitch, you know? Like, she's about to kill you. But no, he picks his sister up and, like, runs away. He doesn't even take the knife away from her. Oh, right. So he just, like, leaves her to pick up the knife and, like, go after him again. Like, what are you doing? There are so many weapons they could have used throughout the movie. So many places they could have hide um, or they could have hid, but... You know, they just, they did the stupid, they did the most stupid things throughout the entire movie. I hated it. Like, halfway through the movie, no lie, I actually started daydreaming about Sharni Vincent, who played Aaron from Your Next. And I'm like, they should have put this bitch, they should have put her in the fucking movie, because, for real, she would have killed all them strangers, and I don't even think she would have broke a sweat. That's hilarious. For real. hilarious. <laughs> Well, that's a great, great review. Well, listen, that's uh, that's awesome. In that kind of genre, is there any other kind of movie you recommend in that kind of genre film? Um, yeah. I mean, speaking of your next, I think it's a great movie. It's probably one of my top horror films ever. I mean, if you want to watch a really good home invasion movie done right, watch your next. Um, also, The Collector. That's another, like, badass movie. Both of them have twists. You know, they got assailants and masks. I just think they're really good examples of, of that genre, you know, so definitely check them out. Um, you know, overall, I think Strangers 2 is uh, it's definitely worth seeing, you know, maybe like once, but after that, it's pretty forgettable. Well, good. I don't think I, I don't think I'm going to watch it again. Well, hey, listen, um, like you said, it's good for a one trier and then that's it. You know, you're, you're, it's, it's one of those movies you watch it, you know, OK, I'm only uh, going to submit myself to this one time. And I'm done with it. And that's it. You know, so that's uh, once you have that mentality going in, you're good. So that's awesome. Well, um, listen, thanks so much. And um, where can the um, listeners find more of your reviews and uh, things that you're putting out there? Um, They can definitely hit me up on my Instagram. In fact, I think I'm going to be putting out a spoiler review of Strangers 2 later on this week. So they can find me on Gab's Already Dead. Perfect. Perfect. Well, listen, Gab, thank you so much for having your own segment here on Dark Fringe Radio, the horror movie review and news. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Uh, stay tuned for The Hollowed Earth, and uh, me and Jay are going to jump right into that next. This place seems empty. I think everybody leaves after Labor Day. This is nice, right? Someone else stand here? Is Tamara home? I think you have the wrong trailer. I thought we were all alone.
guys and we're back and uh, jamie you're going to be jumping into the hollow earth theory and um that's something that uh you know we uh talked about we're struggling with this one because we're like man this is something that i know you really didn't have any much knowledge about i had a little bit of knowledge about it but you know once you start looking into it, there's so much information regarding it and you know it all stems from the theory that some people think that the earth is hollow And um, I know you were bringing up a a person in the military that had a very integral part about this particular theory, and that was Admiral Byrd. And uh, I know you had some information regarding that, right, Jay? Yeah, actually, I had quite quite a bit of information on. I found out a lot about it. I when when you first brought up to me, I mean, listen, if I'm honest, um, before you and I, before I met my wife. I wasn't really all that big into uh, into conspiracy theories. I hadn't given them a whole lot uh, of thought. There were a couple things I always found a bit uh, questionable, a bit, um, you know, a bit awry, but I never thought too much about it. It was only with one I got with my wife that she started pointing out certain things um, just because she likes to question everything. So I had never heard of Hollow Earth until you brought it up to me last week. So I was kind of going into it. Almost with total blind but open-mindedness, if you will. So, like, with the Flat Earthers, uh, I'm superposed. I think they're silly. There's a million things you can point out to and say that I feel disprove it. Um, but with the Hollow Earth, we'd almost have no way of really knowing. So, for me, that was, like, very intriguing. And I started looking into it. There's a lot of biblical references to the hollow earth, uh, going back as far as Job, um, talking about how the, the end of days, the angels are being held inside uh, the earth. There's some scientific uh, studies dealing with how um, the, the polar magnetism, how, how the magnetic pull of the two polar opposites changes uh, from year to year, day to day, month to month. Um, and if everything were hollow and solid, you could almost only assume that they wouldn't change like that. So it almost kind of leads yourself to believe that it that it could be feasible. I mean, if you're if everybody's willing to talk about a flat Earth, why not a hollow Earth? And when you start talking about uh, about it, the first name that comes up is this guy. His name is uh, Richard Byrd. Uh, uh, he was an admiral in the Navy, and and he did an expedition. He did a bunch of expeditions, actually. Uh, to the North Pole and to the South Pole, and some of the stuff that he talks about and some of the stuff that he found um, was really interesting. And it could be a, a bit unnerving and unsettling um, once you start reading some of these hidden diaries of his. Yeah, I heard about those diaries, and that's where he's kind of like explaining what he saw when he was actually getting, like, you know, getting over to Antarctica. Is that correct, Jay? Yeah, he was... Um, it was Operation um, Long Jump, and what they were doing is they were trying to plot courses. They were trying to explore more um, over the North Pole, and he deemed it his flight over the land, his flight to the land beyond the North Pole. You start the flight log at like 0600 hours on February 19, 1947, and the first, you know, 10 entries. Are the normal stuff, uh, radio checks, uh, filled with gas, 
there was a slight oil leak, but it was okay. Some turbulence, some crosswind, things of that nature. A little after 9 o'clock in the morning, his gyroscopes and everything started going crazy. Uh, and then you have this long list of things that are where his he's being he's trying to alter his altitude. His plane feels sluggish, almost like he, he, he doesn't have a whole lot of control. Then he looks down and notices green. They're supposed to be over the North, they're over the North Pole, yet he's seeing green grass and shrubs beneath him. He circles around to get a closer look, ends up seeing a, a, a woolly mammoth, which is crazy to, to think that that's what you saw. Um, yeah, those haven't been around since, like, what, like 100 you know, million years ago? Somewhere around there, yeah. He ends up encountering... He, he ends up, as he's flying, suddenly his, his plane feels lighter than... His controls aren't responsive at all, and it almost feels like he, as as he coins the phrase, an invisible vice. He ends up being spoken to over his radio by somebody who has either a Germanic or uh, or kind of Celtic voice. Yeah, a very calm, very subdued voice, non-threatening. Says that he's no, he's in good hands. They end up landing his plane for him. They pull him into a room where he meets um, the elder. Somebody says that the way he describes him is a lot of years on his face, blonde hair, blue eyed. Uh, ultimately, they're descendants of, of an Aryan race or of an Aryan nation. Uh, they're living in a place called New Berlin. Um, they talk about how, they're, how they've, they had ventured out to try to make contact with us surface dwellers, um, but we weren't ready to understood to admit that they were here or understand them we ended up shooting down there and this is the only part of the whole thing i have trouble believing the name of their craft was the was a flugelheimer the flugelheimer the flugelheimer <laughs> i had a couple flugelheimers uh, last oktoberfest yeah yeah, yeah i have a few every, every time i go out and shoot pool <laughs> so it's uh, that's the only part of this with the name of the ship i find to be like all right i, I I mean, it's almost too stereotypical to be believed, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, I understand. But then maybe maybe if I didn't hear the word Schmidt, I'd be like, yeah, okay. So who knows? <laughs> maybe, who knows? Um, so he, he writes all the conversations that he has with these people. all the way. It goes all the way to March 11th, 1947, when he comes back. He has a staff meeting at the Pentagon, sits uh, with the president. He's been advised. He, he ended up being detained for like six hours. Uh, they ordered him to remain silent uh, regarding all that he had learned on behalf of humanity. The final entry doesn't come until March 12, 1956, so almost 10 years later. And in that final entry, he he knows he's, his days are numbered. He's he's close to death. I want to say he ends up dying uh, not, not too long after the final, final uh, words were written in this particular diary. But he talks about how eventually it's all going to come out anyways because it's it's the truth, and the truth will eventually come out, um, even though he may never be recognized for the things that he has seen. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, it's quite telling because he never did it for fame. He never said anything. He pretty much kept his mouth closed, you know, the whole entire time. So, you know, for a guy like that, you know, it, it's it's got to be kind of believe. It has to have some kind of weight to it. You know what I mean? The other thing that for me made it more believable if you will, or, or more honestly, because again, I, I believe it's, it's easier to assume a hollow earth than it is a flat earth for me and my particular understanding of the way things work. And a lot of times with flat earthers and 
and a lot of conspiracy theorists in general, and I know I'm talking to a lot of our listeners, so please do not take this offensively. There are some people who take it to an extreme point and make the rest of us hard to believe. So a lot of times people come out or they write things like this, and you, and if you read or listen to the diaries, you can actually go on YouTube and you can listen to somebody reading them. I suggest you do it. It's a great listen. Uh, it really helps pass a good 20, 30 minutes. Um, and if you listen to some of the words that he wrote down, they could be unbelievable until you, until you pull up uh, this Rear Admiral, Rear Admiral Richard Evelyn Byrd Jr., who was born August, uh, October 25th, 1888, uh, and dies March 11th, 1957. So again, not too long after his, his final pages were written, uh, this dude was the genuine artifact. He uh, was born in, in, in Virginia. He dies in Massachusetts. He's currently buried at Arlington National Cemetery. He was in the, the Navy. He served from 1912 to 1927, went back in 1940 and served again from 1940 to 1947. He fought in both World War I and World War II. He was awarded the Medal of Honor, the Navy Cross, a Navy Distinguished Medal, Service Medal, the Distinguished Flying Cross, the Legion of Merit, and the Congressional Gold Medal. These are not just, like, this dude's the real deal. He's a real artifact. He's not some kook. He's not a loon. Um, yeah, very he wrote well, everything. Very it, well respected it, the mil- aunt- in the military community. Very well respected. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, if you go even farther back, he's a, a descendant of um, John, of uh, the planter John Rolfe and Pocahontas, if you trace his lineage all the way back. So, He's, he's the real deal. He's not a kook. He's not a weirdo. He's not some guy coming out for for um, fame. He he kept it a secret as long as possible. He did an interview a few years before he passed uh, where it talks about the resources in both the North and South Pole uh, being things like your uh, uranium, he said, was a big one that we're going to be after with our new understanding of atomic weapons, which is a big reason why the the people... Uh, in New Berlin, were hesitant to come with us is they know that, or they said that at this point, we have the ability to destroy the entire outer crust of the Earth, killing off almost our entire species, uh, because if one person has access to that kind of weapons but doesn't want to relinquish that kind of power, it is very easy for that person to go ahead and destroy the planet. Yeah, and um, the particular area in question, uh, the inner, like the inner world or the hollow part of the of the world, is called Agartha. I'm not sure if you've heard that, Jay, uh, that that term. Yeah, and um, they actually have a map of it. If you if you guys look up, uh, you know, Agartha line, and um, you look up images, you'll see a, a picture of it, and it's a pretty, you know, well uh, descriptive. Uh, picture of this inner earth and it's it's pretty messed up when you look at it because you can see kind of put this together in your head is like is this possible but i mean there's theorists even going back to haley who actually was the comet who was uh named after him he actually was the one who started the whole hollow earth theory uh back in the 17th century so this goes back a long 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 time and so the, the belief is is that there's two entry points to the hollow earth one in the north pole one in the south pole and um, that's how you get into Agartha. And um, it's basically believed to have, you know, another humanoid type of beings that live in that area that, you know, are super intelligent. The technology there is like 
a hundred times advanced than what we have now. Um, it's just unbelievable the possibilities. And there's supposedly pictures of this hole. If you um, Google, uh, you know, pictures of the North uh, Pole hole. Um, there are some pictures out there that have not been manipulated where you can kind of see where the hole is. And you'll be surprised to find actual pictures of that out there. And um, there's also um, proof um, that NASA is look, you know, covering that up. Um, there's a, a lot of uh, information out there. If you look, you know, just Google that information, you'll find a ton of plethora of just, you know, uh, just information regarding that. Just basically describing how NASA is just constantly just changing things, editing things out, supposedly losing things. It's just, the, you know, the process never ends. And that's where you start to think, maybe is is there, you know, is there a possibility with this? You start seeing all these things, you know, happening in, in the background, and you're like, well, why are they trying to cover this up? Is there something that they know that, you know, we don't know? It, you know, it, it, that's what it seems like. And so... There's all this evidence out there, um, and you know it. It's it's even it's talked about in different cultures. You know, in every ancient civilized culture, there's a story about the inner realms of Earth. You know, you talk about you know the Greeks they spoke of Hades. The Christians you know referred to Hell. Um, in Judaism, they referred to Sheol. Um, so you have you know all these underground domains and all these allegorical religious tools that, you know, they use to deter people from sinning rather than the realms of activity that are actually being sought out. And so once you, you start looking at Agartha, you start kind of like mirroring the religious side of, you know, if you think about Tibetan Buddhism, right? You think about that religion, you know, there's a secret mystical city of Shambhala and that's located somewhere deep in the Himalayas. And a lot of people think that that's actually related to the whole inner earth. They actually don't think it's in the outside. It's in the inner side of the earth. Have you heard about that, Jay? I have, actually. Did you, did you also know that the Nazis led a expedition there? And that's a big reason why they believe that um, when Admiral Byrd made contact uh, with the inner earthers, that a lot of them were blonde hair, blue eyes, and believed of the and believed in and, and supported the Aryan race because the Nazis were the first ones to find it. That's crazy. Yeah, I've heard that. There's, I've heard that. There's also uh, documentation from U-boat submarine commanders uh, that has found secret passages into uh, chambers that led them to multiple underground cities uh, that were so uh, they were so polite so nice and so inviting that a lot of them didn't even want to come go, come back to the surface uh and back to their their motherland in uh in germany uh, there's a story i don't know if you heard about this story jay regarding um uh, regarding the hollowed earth you know the uh the show coast to coast am um popular show that's been around forever they had this guy that showed up on their show about um i think it was 2002 and the guy's name was uh, Dallas Thompson. He was a uh, former personal trainer who spent his youth in Hawaii, but uh, lived, I think it was in Bakersfield. And um, his basically his life changed after a terrible accident that he had like five years earlier from that. Uh, he had been driving along Highway 58, and um, during a bad storm, his car you know, hydroplaned and spun around a bunch of times and went down a backdrop like 250 feet and car got all smashed to shit and he was all messed up 
So um, in the wreck, he basically had a, a vivid near-death experience, and he claimed to have uh, seen a light so bright that it burnt his eyes and made him legally blind. Um, and he had bizarre knowledge about the world, and he felt it like pouring into him, uh, like all of a sudden. And uh, when he regained consciousness, um, he was convinced that the Earth was hollow, and uh, he had an opening at the North Pole. And he got onto the show, and he discussed his mission uh, to locate it and explore it. He was talking about there's these cavern systems and caves that traverse the whole mantle, basically. And there was a lot of skepticism regarding what he was talking about because, you know, you get a guy who starts talking about some crazy shit like this, you're like, yeah, okay, whatever, right? As they the story went on, you know, it started to get a little bit more interesting because he was talking about the uh, special atmosphere that was uh, in the hole. Thompson was explaining that the living creatures that were protected from pollutants are harmful uh, rays and uh, wouldn't be able to like physically go down there. Um, so there was like herds of like mammoth, like you were talking about Jay and ancient tribes of people down there, uh, which lived to be around, you know, a thousand to 700 years old. So, you know, you got this whole race of advanced people, like we were talking about earlier, you're seeing all these different animals that, you know, shouldn't be around anymore down there. And, um, so again, we talk about this, uh, inner, inner world, there's been centuries of you know people talking about this. We talked uh, you know talked about Edgar Allan Poe at one of our um, one of our podcasts before, and he um, he had written a novel called The Gordon Pym of Nantucket, and he referenced the hollowed earth there. Um, so you you have all these people you know referencing this. Um, it's it's been talked about since the 17th century. There's really nothing to disprove it, too. That's the whole fucking thing about it. Right, Jay? I mean, there's you have all these things that can say that, yeah, it's a possibility, but you have nothing saying that it's not a possibility. That's the that's the problem I have with this. So that was the thing as I was going through and, and researching a lot of this. It's like with the flat earth. Like, there's a lot of different ways to argue it. Uh, maybe not 110% disprove it one way or the other. With the hollow earth, there's nobody out there really saying that, no, no, it's not, it's not, not hollow. They're all just saying, nah, you know, if that's what you want to believe, then fine. But there's there's photos to prove. Like you said, it goes back. It actually goes back even farther um, than just the 15th century. Have you ever heard of the, the Green Children of Woolpit? No, I'm totally unfamiliar with that. All right, so the Green Children of Woolpit, uh, of Woolpit is a 12th century le- legend from England. Uh, it speaks of uh, a little boy and little girl who were found and a site that um, that was being excavated to help trap wolves at St. Mary uh, in the wolf pits, or, or wolf pit as they call it now. Um, they find these two children. Their skin was tinged green. They were taken to the village because there were two lost children who they seemed uh, starving but would not eat any food that was offered to them. Uh, they had no stomach for anything that was offered until a fresh harvest of beans were, were presented to them. And they devoured them. So it showed that they had been growing. They'd grown majorly on root beans and things of that uh, particular nature. Eventually, the boy would get sick and die. The girl, however, would end up surviving uh, and becoming kind of a legend in her own in her own time. Uh, eventually, the skin pigment uh, turned normal, and she did gain a a, a normal appetite as far as things from up above, but for a long time, the villagers of Woolpit talked about the two green children that were found and and how they were they came from nowhere. 
They were beyond comprehension, um, and eventually they became a normal part of society. So, to me, that would that would suggest, if that is true, that they were subterranean dwellings. They saw a hole being as curious as children, especially back in the 12th century. Yes. Come out of the hole, but can end up fitting into society because they are humans. They're humanoid. It's just they're they're raised in a darker area with different foods, different sciences, different things to have to understand. Um, you know, I'm sure to a, to a lot of the subterraneans, if they didn't know we, we existed, we'd be just as strange to talk about as, as they are to us. Exactly. Makes perfect sense, right? Listen, that um, that puts a wrap on the uh, Hollow Earth Theory. Man, I'm going to play a um, at the end of this here a, an account from a U.S. Air Force colonel um, about his account of the inside of our planet. This information was gathered and written down with permission from a recording taken on the phone January 10, 2002, Greg Gavin slash on com. My name is Colonel Billy Faye Woodard of the United States Air Force. Arrival and Indoctrination I was first stationed at Area 51, Nevada, Jan.28, 1971 through 1982. In that period of service I visited the hollow interior of the Earth six times, 800 miles deep. Upon my arrival to Area 51 I was indoctrinated to the existence of tunnels beneath Area 51, and soon after I met several of the underground shuttle operators that have a stature of 13 to 14 feet in height. These tunnels, that transverse the world, are built by a species of beings who have existed here before we, a very long time. Immediately on my arrival to Area 51, I was made aware of the tunnels and all the workings of the facility itself. They told me that the first 15 levels of the Area 51 facility were man-made, that levels 1627 were already there. Nobody from our government made them. We were just facilitating them. My father had been stationed at Roswell. As part of my induction into the military he requested that I be stationed along with him at the Pentagon. There they said we have a new duty station for you which will be Area 51 facility, Nevada commonly referred to as S-4. When I went into the Pentagon I was a second lieutenant. When I came to the Pentagon they gave me the field commission as first lieutenant. After three weeks of being there they handed me my full colonel rank, saying you have to be a full colonel to be stationed at this next facility. There were 150,000 personnel in this facility, approximately 85% military personnel and 15% civilian. Following my arrival I was taken underground and did not see the light of day for 11.5 years. The Tunnels and Shuttles The walls of the tunnels are very smooth. If you were to pull a hollow tube through a ball of clay you can get an idea of how smooth. The walls have what is likened to a marble finish, which are made of a metal substance, impenetrable. The surface of the walls cannot be penetrated even by a diamond drill nor will a laser penetrate the surface. Remember there was a time when we used to see troop movements from point A to B on the Earth's surface, continually. It was not that long ago. Now, you rarely see this. Now they use tunnels to move all these troops at long distances. The tunnels are wide enough to drive two, 18-foot wheelers side by side. Stemming from Area 51, one shuttle goes out to the Pacific Ocean, 
350 miles due west of Monterey, where there is a pyramid, another shuttle goes to the Cheyenne Mountain facility. The length of a large shuttle machine is approximately one-fourth mile long. Interior inhabitants make use of these machines, a huge vessel for moving large numbers of people slash beings slash whatever quickly. The smaller shuttle is 50-60 feet in length, this was the kind I was in. The speed of the shuttles is faster than the speed of sound, they can travel from Area 51 to the main interior of the Earth in less than 10 Earth minutes. In 5-6 minutes you are there. The material used to make the shuttles is the same substance that made up the skin of the spacecraft at Roswell. The shuttles run on electromagnetic power using the Earth's grid line. The operators who I mentioned earlier who are of a stature of 13 to 14 feet in height, look like us in their appearance but much more highly evolved, and speak through telepathy. The men have beards or not, and the women's skin is flawless, indeed having a perfect clear complexion. Their expression for humans is one of concern for us, as they see where we humans are headed. There are seven civilizations residing in the inner earth which are governed by the principles of harmony. They understand and they speak all languages of the earth. Their understanding of medical knowledge is phenomenal. My personal history. At the age of 12, while walking through a field of corn with another friend I had a paranormal experience. I was taken into a UFO vehicle and transported into the inner earth. Here, I lived for six months among the hollow earth residents. You may imagine the wonder of my parents especially of my father who was in the military service, at that time when I disappeared, then to mysteriously return in six months. It was due to this experience that I believe my father made certain that I was engaged under his wing at the Pentagon and later directed to serve at Area 51. I am not the biological offspring of my father, but an adopted child as was my sister. My sister was killed by what is referred to as the secret government. I was able to combat their negativity with my mind, which is stronger, and survived their attacks. It is my knowledge through my guide Zora, an inner earth scientist who is 150,000 years old, that my sister and myself are originally from the inner earth, that our true parents live in the inner earth. When our father took us in as adopted children we did not speak a language known to any surface culture. I have an unknown blood type. I have never had a disease of any kind. My blood has been medically examined and destroys all viral infection when combined with other blood samples in a lab setting. Hollow Earth Vortexes The Hollow Earth residents have the ability to split the ocean floor and create a vortex, as is shown with the Bermuda Triangle. There are seven different levels in these vortexes, and equipment and beings are brought in and placed corresponding to these different levels. The vortexes act as doorways for entrance or exit to the hollow interior of the Earth. There is more than one triangle area off of Florida, one at Lake Erie, and another off the coast of Mexico, one off of Japan, as well as other geographic locations of the Earth. These are called quiet zones. These doorways allow creatures from the interior to come out and in such as the Sasquatch, Loch Ness dot 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 etc. All planets are hollow as is the Sun, which is really a planet. There are civilizations in the Sun which have colonies in the Earth's subterranean regions. Seeking Entry 
In order to locate an entrance to the inner earth, wherever you are underground, all that you need is your compass. The compass will spin as if you are standing at the North Pole at the tunnel entrance to the inner earth. When I left the military service, I no longer had a means of going into the hollow earth. It was necessary that I seek another way. I, and a party of interested seekers, rented a plane which took us to the very rim of the North Pole. The people of the interior. The people of the interior were very free with showing me around, very articulate in showing you what is exactly going on, they do not hold anything back. They always ask permission when working with nature, they ask the plants for permission before consuming them or cutting them down, they ask the Mother Earth before they build on it, and do so build with the lay of the land which best suits their environment, a practice similar to the American Indians, therefore seeking to preserve a harmonious state at all times, wanting to be one with nature at all times, they are more spiritually advanced than surface dwellers and greatly respect Mother Earth. The atmosphere is crystal clear, as a rule there are at times clouds, but nothing like rain clouds. The temperature is a constant 73 degrees. The people in the interior speak directly with the animals, and the animals speak directly to the people of the interior. There is no need for hoarding, for everything is free, no need to create an abundance as everything is ample. A process of bartering is more common than trade in money. This is basically a utopian culture with no depression leading into violence. No parties seeking to make war and gain dominance over each other. There are none richer nor poorer. There are aeroships, we term on the surface as flying saucers, in which a part of themselves, a part of their personality goes into the creation of the aeroship through the process of thought, due to their very powerful minds. This makes the aeroships perfect in design and execution in motion. Only a few persons of the surface have these similar abilities to create, due to the repression of these abilities in childhood by religion, education, and family fears. The people of the interior are allowed to enter the space of their imagination, if you will, and there they create. Disease will not enter their bodies, for it is not allowed. As surface humanity enters into the coming fourth dimensional phase, the inner earth people will come forward and more deeply work with us on the surface. People on the surface are presently so involved with the sense of me that they cannot live together harmoniously. People of the surface who seek to reach the inner earth inhabitants through meditation, will receive it. Children who are being born now are becoming more capable of using the wholeness of their brain which is in common practice in the interior. One of the first things they showed us in the interior was their capability of interplanetary travel and time travel. The basis of time travel is likened to bending space, which comes through the power of meditation and by the acceptance of being an unlimited being. If you train your mind at a subconscious level that you are an unlimited being all things are possible. On the surface capabilities to experience this infinite power are more easily awakened at such portals as Mount Shasta which serves as a space-time portal directly to the inner earth. Once in the surroundings of Mount Shasta you are drawn into the harmonious state. In my experiences at Mount Shasta the Telosians in their civilization underground in that area are projecting an aura of great harmony in a lovely atmosphere. Area 51 of all I saw at Area 51, 
95% remains hidden from the public. Going into Area 51 is like going into another world, where they are terribly afraid that other countries and other parties are going to get this information. Their thoughts being if we admit that the Earth is hollow, with a central intelligence in it, this is going to cause discord and fear. This fear process is generated by the private companies who seek to control and advance their own needs and personal agendas through Area 51. I left the Air Force due to their domineering ways by those who sought to act like control freaks, who were stagnating my ability to think and act in a creative manner. In accepting their orders not to talk about such information, they take it for granted that one will automatically obey. Because of my outgoing desire to share information and inform the public at large my service pension and all my benefits and rights such as the use of the commissary, dental and medical, were taken away. I was in the military for 13.5 years, from basic to the Pentagon and then to Area 51. The genetic engineering that is taking place at Area 51 is with our younger generation. The milk carton children whose photos were commonly seen in the markets in the past, were abducted and taken to Area 51. Level 16 of Area 51 is the genetic engineering level, where they are using our children for experimentation in longevity and powers of the mind. The major force behind this is what is termed as the secret government. There are civilians of the secret government which are in control in several areas of Area 51. There is a network of tunnels underground that go all the way to Europe, South America, the several continents. And there is an intermingling of this great network of tunnels throughout the globe, of which many governments use. God bless you and be with you. Colonel Bill Fay Woodard To jump onto your next segment, what to watch? Is there something you uh, recommend for this week, Jay? You know there is. I it, this week was a tough one for me. I had a lot of what to watch. Watches? What's to watch? Something like that. Whatever the plural of what to watch would be. Um, I had a I had a bunch of them because all my TV shows are currently on break, so I've been catching up on movies like Guardians of the Galaxy and Thor Ragnarok, and I will come back to those because the other night I happened to be wide awake, couldn't fall asleep for God knows why. I was clicking around on demand and came across one of my all-time favorite movies. It fits in with a lot of the conspiracy stuff. It fits in with a, a lot of stuff we talk about. It's The Hunt for the Red October. Oh, that's an old-school classic, man. Yeah. Old-school classic. Anybody listening hasn't watched or hasn't watched it recently, go back and watch it and think about just some of the stuff that we've learned in today's society. And at the very beginning, it talks about it. it, it, it names off a few dates and says that according to the, the government of the world, these events never happened. Now, it's, it's understood that it, it was a book um, written by Tom Clancy. It's meant to be kind of a thriller. It's meant to be kind of conspiratorial uh, as he does with the Jack Ryan character. Um, but if you think about it, it, it's a couple different stories kind of meshed into one to make The Hunt for the Red October. But there's no reason why uh, a lot of those things couldn't have happened or didn't happen. And it, it adds a whole new twist to it. I remember watching it as a kid and even uh, coming up in my, my teens and my 20s, uh, but not really thinking about it as I do today with today's environment. So I really found it to be um, very telling of the, cold, of the 
the Cold War. Uh, it's by far Alec Baldwin's best uh, best role he ever did and acted superbly in it. The story writing is great. It keeps you on the edge of your seat. There's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of quick, fun one-liners, uh, especially from the Sonar guys. Um, it's a great movie. Oh, it's a classic. Awesome. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. It's probably been, I would say, 20 years since I've seen that film, probably at least that much. So, uh, yeah, I'll have to reach uh, back into my library and check that out. So, Jay, um, anything else? How about uh, Dick of the Week? You got that? Dick of the Week. Of course I got a Dick of the Week. I'm always going to have a Dick of the Week, and I promise it won't always come from sports, but I want to do this one a few weeks ago when I end up missing a couple weeks. Uh, so I'm just kind of I'm backtracking. I'm backlogged, if you will. Uh, with Dicks of the Weeks. Uh, but this one's going to be Josh McDaniel. He's the offensive coordinator for the New England Patriots. And have you heard about what this douche nozzle did? I heard, but please. Just because you heard doesn't mean I ain't going to tell you anyway. So, please. this guy gets an offer from the Indianapolis Colts who were looking for a coach, and uh, he, he agreed to terms with them that he was going to go be their coach, but he hadn't signed a contract yet. Uh, but before he signed a contract, he still made them hire and hand-pick and hand-select his coaching staff, people that he wanted to work with, people that he's worked with in the past, people that he believed he could they could win with. And then what happened on his very last day, he's at the Patriots complex um, packing up his shit to leave, ends up having a meeting with Bill Belichick and the owner of the Patriots, Robert Kraft, Walks out of there, contacts the Colts, and says, yeah, guess what? I'm going to stay here as the offensive coordinator, but thanks for your time. And screws the Colts. He screws all of his coaches. I mean, luckily, the coach that, put, that the Colts brought on, Frank Wright, has, uh, has agreed to keep the coaching staff there. Uh, but that's going to be harder for him because he doesn't really know these guys. So it, it's only going to set the Colts back that much farther. Uh, this guy is such a selfish piece of shit. Well, that's, that's there. Go why he's gonna be the next head coach of the Patriots. Well, you know what? His karma is gonna follow that. So you know that'll that'll come back to hit him. So don't worry, you'll see. Oh, I'm not worried, but that is why he is nominated as Dick of the Week. All right. Well, listen. Uh, Jay, that's a wrap. And uh, Gab, thank you so, 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 so much for uh, joining on the uh, your first episode of the podcast. And uh, again, we welcome you. you. Did a great job, and that puts a wrap on everything, guys. Again, uh, Jay, if you could give everybody social media again one more time. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, on Twitter at Dark Fringe Radio. You can find us on uh, iTunes, Google Play. You can get us on your Android devices, all those three words, Dark Fringe Radio. You can even find us at darkfringewordpress.com. I'm totally screwing that up, but you know where to find it. Uh, Hit us up with questions, comments, concerns, possible topics, things you'd like to hear us pontificate and continue spewing stupidity about. Awesome, awesome. And, uh, Gab, if you're still on the line, um, where can everybody find you again on Instagram? It's uh, Gab's Already Dead. There you go. Guys, again, uh, that's a wrap for this week. And um, thanks, everybody. Follow us, share. Please spread the word. And we'll see you again next week.
hunters and foragers. The frontier was everywhere. We were bounded only by the earth and the ocean and the sky. The open road still softly calls. Our little terraqueous globe is the madhouse of those hundred thousand millions of worlds. We who cannot even put our own planetary home in order, riven with rivalries and hatreds, are we to venture out into space? By the time we're ready to settle even the nearest other planetary systems, we will have changed. The simple passage of so many generations will have changed us. Necessity will have changed us. We're an adaptable species. It will not be we who reach Alpha Centauri and the other nearby stars. It will be a species very like us, but with more of our strengths and fewer of our weaknesses. More confident, far-seeing, capable, and prudent. For all our failings, despite our limitations and fallibilities, we humans are capable of greatness. What new wonders, undreamt of in our time, will we have wrought in another generation, and another? How far will our nomadic species have wandered by the end of the next century, and the next millennium? Our remote descendants, safely arrayed on many worlds through the solar system and beyond, will be unified by their common heritage, by their regard for their home planet, and by the knowledge that whatever other life may be, the only humans in all the universe come from Earth. They will gaze up and strain to find the blue dot in their skies. They will marvel at how vulnerable the repository of all our potential once was, how perilous our infancy, how humble our beginnings, how many rivers we had to cross before we found our way. <laughs>